following audio is from a sermon series called Identity Formation. As we study through the book of Ephesians, our aim is to get an understanding about what is most true about us when our identity is found in Jesus Christ. As we understand our gospel identity, we learn that our being informs our doing. Ephesians is all about identity formation. For more information on Sacred City Church, visit scmoline.com. All right, you're set up right. So right now I've primed the pump and you're expecting like a trash can sermon. I, I don't think it's going to be that here. Um, and I, I don't, there's a couple reasons why. But we've been uh, preaching through the book of Ephesians for many months at this point. In fact, Ash and Tatiana are here this, this week. Been, they left us back in J- July. And, and, and when we left, we were like halfway through and we're still in Ephesians. And so, you know, we've been tracking away here in the book of Ephesians for a long time. And today we crack open chapter 6, which is the final chapter of the book of Ephesians, uh, we're on the home stretch, and for me, this is bittersweet. I don't know for you, maybe you're ready to move on, I'm not. I I wish we had like another 15 weeks here, because this book has been so refreshing, uh, and even this topic alone is worthy of another 12 sermons, Um, but it's bittersweet, because we get to close this chapter as we're moving through uh, chapter 6, and we're moving on to Ezra and Nehemiah in the new year. I'm really looking forward to those um, Old Testament books, and so... uh, but it's sweet because the Lord has really met us here in, in this, these last several months. Um, this series, as we've been, you know, going through it, I, I've been trying to show you. I've been looking through the book at, through the lens of identity formation. The book of Ephesians is about helping us understand who you are when your identity is in Christ. What is most true about you when your faith is in Jesus? And, and chapters one through three of Ephesians are really about how you receive this new identity in Christ. Before you came to Christ, you had all kinds of other identities. It, well, one of the identities is an orphan of wrath. You, you were outside of God's care and his covenant. Right? You were in, in this, this pattern of, you were following the sons of disobedience, the patterns of the world. Right? And so there's a sense of because of sin, being born into sin, we were not... God's children, but the gospel, because of what Jesus has done for us, we have become God's children. We were once far off, now we have been brought near. It's this theological discourse that Paul does in chapters one, two, and three to tell us what the gospel, like what are the workings of the gospel here? And then what happens as we transition into chapters four, five, and six, the apostle Paul is explaining to us what happens when you start to live out of that identity, like how your life gets reimagined and reshaped in, in, in view of this gospel truth. Now, when Paul writes chapters one through three, it's not like he's got these theological concepts that he wants to put, put out in front of us and, and let us wrestle with, and then a, a separate laundry list of things that he wants to ad- address among the church in, in, in Ephesus. These two things are related. He's saying this theological stuff that I want to talk to you about in chapters one through three have a direct impact on the way that you order and structure and live your life as gospel people. And so what Paul's been showing us is the gospel reshapes every facet of your life. Not just Sunday mornings, not just Tuesday evenings, nor Wednesday evenings or Thursdays, whenever you have MC, right? The gospel reshapes everything about you. In fact, one of the claims that we make here at Sacred City Church, and this is a biblical claim, we didn't come up with this, is is that all of life is sacred. All of life is lived before the face of God, quorum Deo. So everything about you, everything you do, your work, your parenting, your marriage, your other relationships, um, your, your money, sex, all of these things are meant to be informed by the gospel. And the Apostle Paul has been doing this. Through Ephesians chapter 4 and 5, Ephesians 4, he talked a lot about how our life gets reshaped in the gospel and the implications that has on our church life, what, what it looks like for us to participate with the body of Christ, to be a member of the body. And then in Ephesians, the second half of Ephesians chapter 5, Paul starts envisioning um, dynamics of a gospel household. A household that has been so swept up in the story of God that it gets reimagined. The, the relationships, the dynamics, all get reinformed by the gospel. And we spent the last three weeks talking about gospel marriage, right? How the gospel changes the way that we look at, at marriage. And this week, we're looking at parents and children. 
Now, this is a topic uh, that is incredibly relevant to Sacred Sea Church, and my proof of this is that all you need to do is walk downstairs to our kids' ministry hallway, and we have kids in droves down there. <laughs> we, we've got a lot of, lot of kids, okay? And so um, we, we believe children are a gift from the Lord. We're very grateful for, for the gift that God has given us. Um, and, and one of the ways, and let me just make a volunteer plug here while I'm at it for Sacred City Kids, is that we are always in need of, of volunteers, people to, sh- to, to come alongside of parents in, in shepherding and discipling their kids, all right? Um, so if you are looking for a way to serve Sacred City Church, it's a great way to do that. Um, our, our kids' ministry is ever-expanding, and we need help. But our aim at Sacred City Kids or with with this kids ministry that we have is not to take over the responsibility of discipling our kids. Our aim at Sacred City Kids is to partner with parents in the discipleship of their children. Because we firmly believe, and, and Scripture teaches that this, that parents are to be the primary disciplers of their kids. In fact, one of the ways that, that um that the Puritans talked about this is that each household is to be thought of as a little church. And parents function as pastors of this little church, providing spiritual guidance, uh, instruction, discipline, right? All of the things that go into pastoring, parents are meant to be this number one discipler in the life of their kids. And what Scripture time and time, I mean, whether you're looking at the Old Testament or the New Testament, Scripture continually puts before us is that it is a high calling to be a parent. And here today what we're looking at is is what Paul's going to show us is what does it entail to be a parent? What does it mean to be a parent who is a gospel parent, informed by the gospel in our parenting? And really, we're looking at verses one through four today. Um, the first three verses that we're looking at are really addressed to children. And, and the last verse, verse four, is addressed to parents. And Paul has so much to say in this one little verse. I mean, you, you could take the implications of this beyond, I could probably, open, for another 12 weeks, could open up this one verse and unpack some of the implications of what it means to be a gospel parent. Now, we're gonna get to that because I know we do have a lot of parents. We got a lot of parents of young children, and so this is gonna be very relevant to Sacred City Church. Um, But before I address the parents, uh, I wanna speak to the children, to the kids. Now, we're all kids of somebody, um, but I specifically wanna speak to the kids who still are in your parents' household because you have a high calling too. Just as your parents have a high calling from the Lord to to raise you, to discipline you, to to train you and, and bring you up in the way of the Lord, you too, children, have a high calling. Now granted, it's less complex uh, than being a parent, and I'll see that parenthood is kind of a complex thing, um, but it's just as important. And this is what the Apostle Paul, so this, the Bible that was written over 2,000 years ago has something to say about your season of life right now. This is what it says. Verse one. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Have you guys heard that before? Yeah, I hope so. Okay. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well for you and that you may live long in the land. Now, that's what the calling is for you, kids. Obey and honor your parents. Now, what I'm gonna come back to you here in a second. Let me speak to this, though. What's going on here in verse two? First, um, first the apostle Paul is quoting in verse two, he's, he's, he's quoting the fifth commandment. That was given um, to the Israelites back in Exodus chapter 20. And this commandment, he quotes it verbatim here almost. Well, not quite. But the the general principle is honor your father and mother is what he says. That's the first commandment that God gives to, uh, 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 I guess, well, so the first four commandments are about how we as individuals relate to God. And then commandments five through ten are about how we relate to other people that we're in relationship with. The first thing that God says and how we are to relate with other people is to honor your father and mother. Now, this is a universal commandment, okay? A a universal commandment that goes across all societies, 
all cultures, all ethnicities. This is a universal commandment. This is how God has set up life to work best. And so it's, it's for all kids. And listen, it's for all kids at all times. A call to honor your father and mother. Now, that, that's the, the commandment, the fifth commandment there. But what verse one is, is actually an application It's taking the principle of the fifth commandment and applying it to a specific context. And what the people that Paul is addressing here specifically in verse one are are young kids who are in Christian homes. He's saying, listen, this is what it looks like to honor your mother and your father. If you are being raised in a Christian home, you are to obey your parents. And so here, the Apostle Paul has younger kids in view. Now, what does he mean by younger? What do I mean by younger kids in view? It'd, it'd be kids. I'm not, I'm not talking like just, you know, elementary age kids. It's, it's all kids who are still under their parents' roof, so to speak, that are reliant upon their parent for provision, for guidance, for all of the things of life. This is the, the call that Paul has for young kids, even up to adolescence, to obey, obey your parents. In fact, this is how he's saying, this is what it looks like for youngsters to honor your parents is by obeying them. And parents, we ought to call our children to obedience because this is essentially their first step in discipleship to Jesus. God has given us authority to ask that from our kids, to say, hey, I am commanding you to obey. We're not standing on our own authority. It's, it's a God-given authority that he has given to us. Now, kids, when you grow up, and when you are now out on your own someday, when you're standing on your own two feet, you're, you're making a living, you've got your own place, you, you're sort of on your own. You're sort of becoming an unto- you're, you're what your parents were hoping for. You grew up, you got out of the house. The way that you honor your parents is going to transform a little bit. So as a young kid, as a, as, a, as a kid living under your parents' household, the call is to obey your parents, but there will be a point in your life where you step out from underneath the authority of your parents, where no longer is the, the command to honor your parents, does it apply in the sense of obedience to your parents, and one of the ways that we see this is especially within marriage. We saw this last week, where, where Paul talked about, or Jesus, well, he's Uh, Paul is quoting Jesus, who's quoting Moses, who's speaking on behalf of God, when he says that a a man will leave his wife, or a man, don't leave your wife, a man will leave his parents and hold hold fast to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. I'm struggling here today. So this idea that you leave the authority, you leave the, the, the household of your parents, and you hold fast, you cleave to your spouse. So in order to do that, to leave to cleave, means that you will have to at some point stop letting your parents dictate what you do with your life. That, that will shift. That, that relationship of honoring, or the dynamic of honoring your parent will eventually shift. But if you are in your household, the call right now is to obey your parents. And Paul says this, Obey your parents in the Lord, or as to the Lord. Now the question here, if Paul calls us into um, obedience that honors parents, the question then is, what does this honoring obedience look like? If you're a kid, you should be asking this question. What does it look like to honor my parents through obedience? Now I'll tell you what it's not, because there's a lot of ways that it can get close, but not exactly Uh, like this. Now, one of the ways that it's not is by treating the commands of your parents. So when your parents tell you to do something, by treating it as a mere suggestion, like something that you can kind of take into consideration, and if you find yourself agreeing with it, it's like, okay, well, yeah, I guess guess I'll move forward with this. See, that's not actually obedience at all. It's just agreeing with your parents on your own terms. That's not what obedience looks like, nor does this honoring obedience look like a begrudging obedience? This okay, fine, stomp, 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 huff, puff, right, out the door. That, that is not honoring obedience, nor is time-delayed obedience honoring obedience. 
I tell my kids that slow obedience is disobedience. Or slow obedience, another way to say it. Slow obedience is disobedience in disguise. They're, they're cousins of one another. See, God calls children to honoring obedience, and honoring obedience is a quick obedience with a happy heart. Honoring obedience is quick and, quick and prompt obedience. So the first time instruction is given, you respond right away. You take action. You do it right away, all the way, the right way. Now, part of doing it the right way means to do it without an attitude because you can be begrudging. You can't stop and pout your way out the door to do obedience, but that doesn't actually show honor to your parents. So Paul calls you to honor your parents by quick obedience with a happy heart. Now, you're probably asking, actually, you're probably not asking. Kids have already checked out, realistically speaking. But for parents, this is what you need to know. This is part of instruction. Of, we'll talk about this in a minute, of helping them understand their role as a child. Honoring, uh, the reason why, we call, why God calls and we call our children into honoring obedience, Paul tells us why in verse 1. He says, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. He makes a moral statement. He says, this is the right thing to do. Now, this is connecting with, with Jewish philosophy, with, with Greek philosophy. It is, it's the, connecting to this idea of, of how does the world work best? That's one of the big questions. If you were here, we are talking about the Sermon on the Mount. This is one of the big preoccupations uh, among Greek philosophers, among um, the, the Jewish, well, Jewish philosophy, too, is asking the question, how does life work best? And the Apostle Paul says that life works best, things work rightly when we follow the design that God has for the world. And the design that God has for the world is to give parents authority and for children to respond to that authority in an appropriate manner. This is how life works best. Now, uh, for some kids to say, oh, this is the right thing to do, that, that's, maybe that's not going to, you know, that's not going to hold weight for them and so there's verse three, where Paul says, well, quoting again, the, the, the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. For This is the first commandment with a promise. So he says, here's the commandment, but here's, here's the benefit to it. Here's a promise that's attached to it. Verse three says this, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. See, the the, the the Apostle Paul gives us further reasoning than just saying it's the right thing to do. He says, children, obeying your parents, showing them honoring obedience is actually for your own good. It will benefit you in the long run. It sets you up for prosperity and longevity, not necessarily in a material sense, but relationally, spiritually. There's a lot of benefit that the Lord has for you when you learn to honor your parents with obedience, therefore, it is a command with a promise. Your life will be better if you learn how to do this, how to obey your parents. Now, here's why. Everywhere you go in life, there will always be authority over you. Everywhere you go in life, there will always be authority over you. It's gonna be a teacher, a coach, a boss, a landlord, there will always be somebody in an authority position above you. And obeying your parents are essentially training wheels for all other kinds of obedience. So the way that you learn to honor your boss, which we'll get into next week, the way that you learn to honor your coach is by learning to obey and honor your own parents first. Now someday... As with all sets of training wheels, those training wheels will come off, right? You'll be on a two-wheeler. And, and, and you'll, you'll no longer have to abide by that. You'll still have to honor your parents, but obedience to your parents is not something that you necessarily have to abide by. But at that point, when those training wheels come off, the hope is then that you would be walking by faith in obedience to Jesus, that your parents have taught you what it looks like to actually obey and trust and follow Jesus so that you would be like those 
who Jesus talks about at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. The, those who hear and do his words are like the wise builder who built his house upon the rock. That, that this life that you build for yourself will stand and, and last through all of the conflict, all of the ups and downs, all of the adversity that you're going to face in life. Your life will be built on the solid rock of Jesus. So this is a high calling as children. And this is, this is interesting here because before kids wouldn't like this whole household code thing. I, I mentioned this a few weeks ago. Paul's following this format uh, in, in the Greco-Roman world of, of here's how a house ought to be structured and ordered. In a household code um, that was informed by Greco-Roman society, kids would hardly be mentioned at all. Like the, what they, it's like you need to just shut up and obey was basically the gist of what kids were responsible for. But call, Paul calls children into this dignifying role of honoring and obeying your parents. And in doing so, this is how you participate in your family and within the broader church family that God has built and is bringing together. See, it's a dignifying thing. It's something, it's a high calling for you as kids. And honestly, it's the calling that, that will open up all other callings for you later on in your life. If you learn how to do this, to honor and obey your parents, things will follow. More higher callings will come afterward. Now parents, especially Christian parents, our ultimate objective in our parenthood is not just to populate the earth with more people. Our, our ultimate goal as parents, especially as Christian parents, is to make followers of Jesus. Not just make decent human beings, though we hope to do that. Not just to teach our kids life skills that are gonna come in handy later on as they go throughout their life, though we hope to do that. Not just to help uh, refine and develop character, which we also hope to do that, but the primary aim that we have as Christian parents is to raise our kids in such a way where following Jesus makes the most sense. And one of the ways that we do that is by demonstrating, by modeling a life of submission and obedience to Jesus ourselves. Now this is reflected in the way that we put ourselves under the word of God to hear this next verse that the Apostle Paul has for us. Right? This informs the parenting aspect, this high calling that we've received from God and shows us that this calling carries eternal significance. Right, this isn't just busy work, day-to-day -day type stuff. This, care, this is perhaps the most weighty thing that you will ever have to do in your life is to raise children. In verse four, Paul expresses how parents are to be helped along in that, what this actually looks like. And in verse four, the first thing that he gives parents is a prohibition. He says, don't do this. Here's what he's gonna say. Verse four, fathers... Do not provoke your children to anger. That's the first thing he says. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Now, mothers are included in this. He's following this household code uh, paradigm that, that's sort of, he's addressing mothers and fathers at the same time, but especially addressing fathers because one of our tendencies as fathers, especially in this in industrialized age that we live in, is that we sort of um, push the parenting responsibilities over to the wife because Generally speaking, she's the most nurturing or maybe she, she's the one who's actually at home raising the kids, doing that stuff. But Paul, again, calls husbands, calls fathers to this work of parenting the children, of, of stepping into parenting responsibility. Once again, the responsibility is set upon the mantle of, of the husband. Now, there are a lot of things that fall under this prohibition when he says, don't provoke your, your children to anger. And at the top of this list, because I don't have time to do it all, one of the things that he is prohibiting and saying this is not going to go well for you as parents is taking an authoritarian way, uh, an, an authoritarian approach to parenting where you lay the law 
operate heavy-handedly. You pile up these burdensome rules, constantly, you know, throwing things, hoops out in front of your kids to jump through. And what you're doing in this and kind of piling up this burdensome load is you are abusing the God-given authority for self-gratifying reasons. In fact, our, our confession of sin today, like, hit a lot of this right on the head. When we are operating out of an authoritarian model of parenthood, we are placing a lot of unreasonable and unfair expectations and rules upon our kids. Now, I'm not saying, listen, we don't call our kids to obedience. That's not at all what I'm saying. That's what the scriptures commands us to ask of our kids. But there's a way where you can take this God-given authority and abuse it. Take it to a degree. Ask for extra biblical things of your kids that just becomes so Wearisome, wearisome for your kids. And you lay out these unreasonable expectations, these unfair rules, and then you become heavy-handed in your discipline. And what happens is you, you create this culture in your home of nagging, of condemnation, of humiliation, and what happens to your kids is it slowly degrades them. It wears them out. See, instead of bringing them up, which is what the command is here in, in verse 4, it says, fathers, do not provoke your children, but bring them up. Instead, you are wearing them away. You are eroding their personhood away. In fact, another way, another translation says you're exasperating your kids. And what happens when your kids become exasperated and worn out and just feel this heavy weight that is impossible for them to live up to is they become hard-hearted towards you. They grow angry and resentful. They feel like it's a game that no matter how hard I try to play and win, there's no chance I can succeed at this. And so they just get this general disposition of irritability, of bitterness and resentment towards their parents. And what happens in turn is that then is how they see God. Because as parents, our responsibility is to reflect the fatherhood of God in our own parenting. See, God is not, we heard it a ton already today, God is kind and gentle, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And when we operate as tyrants, we are not reflecting the love of our Heavenly Father. That's not how He deals with us. And so we are doing a disservice to our children when we are provoking them to anger in that way, putting these, this burdensome load upon them. Now, let me be sure to tell you that Paul isn't saying He's not saying, make sure that you never let your kids get mad. That's not at all what he's saying. He's not saying that, that, that if your kids get mad, you're doing it wrong. In fact, I would appeal to the opposite of that. That there are going to be times that if, if you are gospeling, or if you are parenting in light of the gospel, you will make your children mad, at least from their perspective. There are going to be things that will disappoint them. So Paul is not saying, hey, don't, don't let your kids get angry. Don't put them at the center of the universe. Right? That's going to not work out in their favor in the long run. They're, you're going to raise kids that are narcissistic, and they're, they're not going to be able to succeed in very many relationships because they think everything is about them. That, that's not at all what Paul is advocating for. Instead, what he's saying is parents in a way that puts God at the center, that puts Jesus at the center of the universe. And when you put Jesus at the center of the universe, that will oftentimes leave your kids irritated with you because it might mean that you're saying no to things that they want, even things that they see their peers having. Like, like for example, you might, because of, of, of gospel-informed parenting, tell your kids, hey, we're just not gonna do cell phones until you're 18 in this house. Well, my, my 10-year-old, I just saw a 10-year-old got a cell phone. I was like, my buddy's got a cell phone. Why can't I have? Well, I don't know if it's wise to give your 10-year-old unrestricted internet access. In fact, I don't know if it's good for an 18-year-old or a 30-year-old or a 50-year-old to have unrestricted internet access for that matter. See, wise parenting might say no to things that the trends are saying yes to. 
It might mean saying no to some kinds of social media. There's all, I mean, you've probably seen it in the news, there's all kinds of information that's come out about how social media is having a negative impact on young people. And so if parents, we are desiring to raise our kids to love and know Jesus, there might be things that we have to say no to in the realm of social media. Or even the, the, the kind of relationships they have with, and friendships. That there might be some friendships that we steer them more towards. Now, we can't pick and choose our kids' own friends for them. But we can encourage them. Say, hey, I think this person has a better influence on you than this person. And here are the things that I see. You seem more optimistic. You seem more compassionate. You seem more kind. You seem more down to earth. Right? And we can, we can do that in parenting. So there might be some times when you're saying no to something that's going to, you know, spike your kids up. They're going to get a little irritated about you. Or even how you organize your calendar for that matter. Right? What you say yes to. What kind of extracurriculars you're saying, this is what we're going to be about as a family. There might be times when you have to say no because when you start saying yes to everything, it starts compromising your family time. You become a family that's always on the run, running around, helter-skelter. Your family time is compromised and usually the first thing to go is church life is compromised. You step out of the calling that God has for us as members of the body. So there are all kinds of things that as parents, you're probably gonna say no to that might irritate your kids. But you're saying no to those things not because you're trying to provoke them, not because you're trying to ruin their life, but because you're trying to preserve their life. You're trying to show them the path to the good life, that they could have life to the fullest. See, parenting is about upholding what is good and right and true. Say, this is worth pursuing. This is worth giving your life to. And that which is not good, right, and true, we want to lead our kids away from those things. Thus, the essence of parenting is to assume the role of a teacher. Now, as kids grow up and mature, um, I mean, there's not a lot of teaching that's go going on with six-month-old babies. But as kids grow up, you know, into the twos, threes, those early stages, you're really laying the foundation. You're, you're, you're teaching them what it looks like to be part of a family by teaching them obedience. You move into elementary school where you're teaching them how to think about concepts and beyond that, right? You have to assume the role of a teacher because that is what God has designed parenting to be, to teach and to train up our children in God's ways. And it's not just this sort of like, it's not just a facet of parenthood. It actually, it's like the overarching thing about parenthood. Everything that we do ought to be about teaching and training our kids about who God is, about who we are, about his creation, about how we can interact with God, how we can have a relationship with God through grace and faith. Everything that we do ought to be about diligently teaching our kids. In this way, class is always in session. See, this is what the, the Shema uh, in Deuteronomy 6, this is like, this is like the, uh, the anthem of the Old Testament here. And it speaks to this. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your, your might. And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. Now listen, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. Now that basically sums up all of life right there. When you're walking, when you're sitting, when you're waking, when you're going to bed. Pretty much giant umbrella. All of life. You shall bind them, those are the teachings as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You, you see the world through these commands, the teachings of God, a biblical worldview. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. See, this is, this is what parenting is. It's this diligence in teaching our kids. Now, Paul kind of, kind of unpacks this a little bit further and says, to do this, to teach our kids requires these two big things. He says, there's both discipline involved and instruction involved. 
Okay, one can be viewed in the positive, here I'm teaching you what to do, and, and the other discipline might be viewed more as I'm correcting your path of maybe where you veered off, right? But Paul says both of these things have to be in place if we are to train and to teach our kids in the ways of the Lord. And so instruction refers to an engagement with content, like to, to reckon with truth about God, about the world, about me. To, to reckon with truth, and in light of this truth, to organize our lives in a way that acknowledges the truth of that. So this is what instruction looks like. You're actively teaching day in and day out, when you wake, when you sleep, at the table, at the bed, everywhere, in the car, everywhere. They didn't have that in, in Deuteronomy. But the, in the car for us, as you're going on the way, to teach our children Your job as a parent is to teach your kids. And one of the things that our culture over time has, has done is sort of exported some of these responsibilities. So like education, for example, we, we enroll our kids in some sort of school. And I'm not against that. I, I like school. I think there's a lot of benefit in school. But, but when we think of that as like, okay, I'm exporting this part of teaching my kid to a teacher, what we're doing is we're abdicating our responsibility. So the, the, the teacher can work in a way that supplements our, our instruction as parents, but it cannot be the primary means for this teaching. We have to think about our kids' education as a discipleship tool because it is. Now, thinking about this will raise the question of can public school Disciple our kids in an adequate way. It's, it's a valid question, and I'm not here to, to knock over castles today here, but something as Christian parents, they're thinking, my objective is to teach my kids the way of the Lord. Can public school really do that? I don't think it can. It has to come from us. So if you are sending your kids to public school, or even any school for that matter, you as parents still must have a responsibility to teach your kids in your home. The same goes for Sunday school. If you're dropping your kids off in, in, in uh, Sunday school on, on Sunday mornings and you're expecting that they're just gonna get filled up and that's gonna be the primary, no, uh they will be just like you here. This is an insufficient, this thing, this hour and a half that we have here is insufficient for training you for all of your life. You need to be a lifelong learner and your kids need to be taught as lifelong learners. Every part of life. And this is very important for us because more and more, our culture is hostile towards the Bible, hostile towards God, really don't like Jesus anymore. And so there are gonna be all kinds of ideas and concepts that our kids are getting slammed with, and we need to teach them to think biblically so when they hear the lies from the culture, they can knock them down with the truth of God. We ha There's an urgency here, folks. There's an urgency in this moment for us to stand up and to take responsibility in this way. Okay, where am I on time? Sorry, I'm probably going over already. Yep, getting there. Okay, I'm gonna bypass a little bit and say, here, here's, when it comes to instructing our kids, the, I mean, I, I wanna talk all day about teaching our kids a biblical worldview, teaching them to think, to have the mind of Christ. I want to talk about all that all day. But one of the things, as parents, that we have to teach our kids is what repentance and faith looks like. See, when we call our kids to obey, they will fail. Now, that doesn't get them off the hook and say, okay, I'm just not going to ask you to obey anymore. No, 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 we're still gonna call them because this is part of their discipleship. But what we need to teach them is what repentance and faith looks like so that when they do fail, when they have violated a command either of God or, or instruction that parents have given them, they know how to deal with that appropriately. Otherwise, what happens is they get bogged down by guilt and shame. Because they're going to think, I guess, all that I am is a failure. I can never keep the rules. They're just pushed down, 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 and it's like a, a weight around the neck that's sinking them deep down into the ocean. 
And repentance is meant to bring life. With repentance comes times of refreshing. So when our kids fail, we need to be able to lift them up in the gospel. To remind them, listen, there was one who was perfect in your place, who did what you could not do, who lived a perfect life yet died the death that you deserve to die because of your disobedience and rebellion against your heavenly father. And he gave himself up for you in such a way that you would be restored to your heavenly father. So in you the Holy Spirit dwells and cries out, Abba, Father, because you no longer stand in a place of condemnation, but in a place of grace. We have to teach our kids. And the only way that you get to that, the only way that you can really savor the sweetness and the tenderness of God is if you have gone through repentance. That's why the message of the kingdom of God is to repent and believe. And so in acknowledging their sin and their failures, yes, we gotta do that. But we invite them into repentance to be restored both with God and also within our households and to teach them how to walk by faith because now the Spirit of God is in them crying out Father God and also a power that is driving obedience in their life because it is impossible. Paul talks about this in in Romans. It's the law, it's impossible. Can't do it. It, it, The law will only condemn. But the gospel gives Life. We have to teach our kids what faith and repentance looks like. And, and one of the most palpable ways that you teach that is by modeling it yourself in your own parenthood. When you failed as a parent, when you disciplined out of anger or bitterness, or you treated them as a, 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 an obstacle to your happiness, you have to repent to your children. And this is, man, you talk about showing honor, like, we call kids into showing honor and obedience. This is one of the ways that parents, the gospel flips us, where parents show honor to their children. You dignify your children when you repent to them when you have sinned against them. Okay. We have to instruct, especially, especially in terms of faith and repentance. And, and, and just as Deuteronomy 6 says, there will be formal times of this. There will be times where we sit down and we're gonna catechize our kids. We're gonna read the Bible together. We've got all kinds of great resources. The, the Jesus Storybook Bible that's out there in the, in the, uh, the bookstore, there's a, a curriculum that one of our members from Sacred City Davenport put together. Uh, I forget what it's called, but it's an incredible resource that we've been going through as a family. There are all kinds of great uh, resources for those times where you sit down and you do this formal instruction, but gospel parenting, there is no off switch. It is on the go all the time. We're teaching our kids. Now, secondly, the other piece of this is discipline, that we discipline in the way of the Lord. That means that when our kids step out of of obedience, there is correction and accountability that is offered. Our job, it's a a very restorative thing. It's not a, a condemning thing. The reason why we discipline is to restore. Now, that might mean that there are consequences still. But those consequences are geared to give them an on-ramp back into obedience. Now, one of the things the Bible talks about is, in Proverbs, the rod of discipline, right? It's a tool, like, the Bible's talking about spanking your kids. It is a way, it is a way that God has given for godly correction. It's very important here now because some people hear this and say, I, I will never, I experienced that taken to a degree. It was unhealthy. My, my parents disciplined me in anger um, and so I will never do that and, and you're right to have that reaction. That is not at all what God is calling parents to do with the rod of discipline. It is meant to be a restorative thing. A tool for godly correction and the sting of that spanking is meant to be a reminder or point to the fact that sin hurts. That when you break God's rules, they will break you. Or you break yourself, really. And a little sting today, parents, could spare your kids a lifetime of hurt and disobedience because of their waywardness and disobedience towards God. Now, here's the reality of this. Nobody likes discipline like this. Parent, 
parents don't like disciplining kids like that. I know I don't. I find no joy in this. And I know kids don't like it either. My kids, will, they'll kick and scream. Nobody likes discipline. But this is what Hebrews 12 talks about. That, that actually it's, it's because we are being disciplined that we know that we belong to God. And so one of the ways that we show our kids that we love them and they belong to us and we are concerned about their welfare for the rest of their life is by stepping into this kind of discipline. To do it in a loving and gracious way. Now, Here's the other part of this. When, when uh, at the beginning of chapter four or verse four, when he says, um, "Don't provoke your children to anger," the, the King James says, "Don't provoke your children to wrath." The, the other side of this, you know, we could do it. You could provoke them to wrath in sort of an authoritarian way. The other way that you can provoke them to wrath is by failing to instruct and to discipline. Because what is that's doing? Is, it's a disservice to your kids. You're, you're setting them up to live this licentious life, for them to figure out life on their own terms without any kind of guidance. And, and what's going to happen because our hearts are wayward and just have this sinful pull, it's going to pull them down a path of futility. And their growth and development in the gospel will ultimately be stunted and possibly become stagnant because of this. And so for parents, when we say we ought to bring them up, th this is what it means, that, that we actually instruct and discipline. We don't abdicate or even push off that responsibility. We bring them up, not just in stature, not just physically, not just to see them progress through the benchmarks uh, of childhood development, but we bring them up in the faith. Now, this is a word that, that connects back to the Exodus story. It says he brings them up. Leviticus, I think it's Leviticus 20, talks about how God brought up his people from Egypt. Right, this grand story, this, this narrative of deliverance where God's people were enslaved underneath uh, the, the oppressing uh, of Pharaoh. And God brought them up out of the land of Egypt and brought them eventually to the promised land. And so this is kind of, it's a metaphor, it's an imagery that we have as, as parents for our, 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 our parenting, our discipleship of our kids. We are bringing them up. We are delivering them in a sense, from bondage by pointing them to Jesus. Say, here's how you live a free life. So we bring them up. And what's important is the manner in which we bring them up. And the only way that we can figure that out, the only way that we really get a good grasp on that is when we experience the way that God brings us up. See, God is never harsh with us. He may be firm, but he's never harsh, never ha heavy-handed. He's gentle, kind, and slow to anger. He instructs us in wisdom. In fact, that was Ephesians chapter four, is to walk wisely. He instructs us in his wisdom, and he gives that wisdom to us generously when we ask for it, so that when we live, we can live with the grain of life. And even in the moments where we are experiencing God's discipline, where it might be unpleasant, where the Lord feel, feels like the Lord's got us in the woodshed for a minute, and he's working some stuff out in our soul, and it might be unpleasant, but that in itself is a reminder that we are his, that he has not forsaken us, he has not left us to our own devices. He is working in our hearts in such a way where he wants to instruct and discipline us. See, this points to the reality that Paul talks about at the beginning of Ephesians is that we have been adopted. We've been brought into God's family, not because we were worthy, not because we were really good, obedient children, but because he had mercy for us. See, God doesn't bring us into his family when we succeed at obeying our parents. He doesn't bring us into his family when we succeed at being godly uh, parents or children. He brings us in because he is merciful and kind. And the way that he brings us into his family is by pushing Jesus out on the cross. That Jesus was forsaken so that we could be embraced. And so this is the good news of the gospel, that God, through the gospel, is reparenting us. And this is great news. If you grew up in a home where you didn't have godly parents and maybe even still have these, this relationship with your parents that's very fractured and broken, here God is restoring you. 
He is teaching you what parenthood is actually about by giving you a vision of a heavenly father who loves you. So instead of operating from a place of your parents' disapproval or or never living up or maybe just being a a distraction or, or an insignificant piece of your parents' life, God looks upon you affectionately. He he brings you in. He has an embrace for you. He is his face. He's got a smile. He loves you. And he shows us his love at the cross. I am going to bring you in. See, the gospel tells, tells us is, the gospel says, I am loved, therefore I obey. Religion has it messed up. Religion says, okay, I obey, therefore I'm loved. No, the gospel says, you're already loved. God already loves you like a heavenly father. And because he has such a strong love for you, there's an invitation to reciprocate, to to love God. And the way you express love is obedience to him, even in our parenthood. And as we experience God's fatherhood, what it does it makes our own parenthood reflect his parenthood. And as we do this, we show our kids Jesus. We show our kids that God is beautiful and trustworthy and kind, is for our good. And the more that our kids understand this, the more Paul's multi generational vision that he has for the church comes alive. And in Ephesians chapter four, he says, listen, my prayer is that the glory of Christ would be present in the church from generation to generation now and forever. One of the ways that we live into that vision, which I hope is a vision that we have at this church, think generationally here about this church, is that we see the glory of Jesus come manifest in our kids through our parenting. This can only be done by the power of the Spirit. Something God stirs up in us. I'm gonna pray. Father, parenting is hard. It's a high calling. It's impossible in a lot of ways to do it perfectly. And for each one of our failures, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So this morning, I I ask that our our homes, especially in relation to our our children, our parents, would be informed by the grace of the gospel. Um, That you would give our children the grace to obey in honor of parents, that you would give parents um, the grace to instruct and to discipline in the way of the Lord, not to provoke our children to anger, but to teach them the way of life, to bring them to Jesus. Would you help make that our ultimate aim, to create more Jesus-following children in our city, that your glory would continue to abound here in the Quad Cities and far beyond, wherever you take our kids in their lifetime. the grace of Jesus go